Richard Harris. You might remember me from last week's film, This Sport of Life, and uh, I was also in another movie with some wizards that I don't quite remember. This week, my good friends Brendan and Jason will be taking you on a magical journey to visit a film that's quite near and dear to my own heart as I enjoy films about people who existed before I did. So without further ado, here's our friend, my friend, your friend, Brendan, and no one's friend, Jason, to talk about the film, The Go-Between. Have fun. Well, um, I want to say that at first I had high hopes because he said we were his friends, but then he just trashed you. He did. And you know what? There's a story there. Oh. When I was a boy. Yeah, go on. And we have time. I saw uh, 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 Un- Unforgiven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played English Bob. Of course. And I was scared by English Bob. And I wrote him a very, very uh, strongly worded letter to him, mm-hmm. chastising him for creating such a character. Because he, he created Because him. he created him himself, clearly, and foisted himself upon Clint Eastwood in that film. Yes. Um, and he sent me back a, a letter, and when I opened it up, it was just a drawing of a middle finger. Oh, so, I thought you were going to say maybe it was comprised of like letters cut out of magazines. No, no just, a, just, a, just a, a cartoon drawing of a middle finger. Not even really good, like dashed off in about 15 seconds. So no effort was put into it. No this. effort at all. Just to, it, That's how much of a fuck you it was to me. What's amazing is that, is he even alive? Well, I mean, to be fair, how many of the actors that we've actually had on are alive? Well, I mean, I mean, let's face it. We never told the listeners this. I'm going to let everyone in on a little secret. Behind the recording studio, there's actually an old mausoleum. Yeah. So, I mean... I mean, how, how do you think we got Alec Guinness? Yeah. That's how we're doing it, folks. I am Brendan. I'm Jason. And this is Full Screen. And Country. And what do we do, Jason? We talk about British films, right? We talk about... Not only do we talk about British films... I'm going to guess. Specifically. Okay. On the AFI list. No. Uh, the IFI list. No, the Italian Film Institute is not involved in this podcast. How dare you? What institute is? The British Film Institute. Uh, although, shouldn't it be called the Royal Film Institute? But I guess the Queen didn't give it her, her okay, right? Well, no, because Elizabeth is on this list, so she definitely didn't give it her okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, wait, her, Elizabeth her or Elizabeth the I don't one? think it's about no, her. Okay. <laughs> is the Queen on this list? Wait, is she 300 years old? She might be. Okay. She's very old. The queen she looks very good. Uh, no, uh, we are... What are we doing? Uh, we're talking about the, the top 100. We're doing the top 100 British films of all time. We're talking about all of them on this episode. Uh, no, just okay. one. Okay. Just one of the hundred. But we're talking about uh, uh, among the top 100 British films of all time as created by the British Film Institute in 1999, Brendan. The year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. We're randomly going through the list, uh, rolling the dice, and this week we have picked number... 57. 57, which is 1971's The Go-Between. But... Before we go to that, before we go to the go-between, all right, eh, eh? let's have a little go-between of our own, between this part of the episode and the next part, because we're going to talk about last week's film, This Sporting Life. So let's get into it. Let's talk about This Sporting Life. This one? That's this one. This not, one specifically. Not that one. No, we're going to talk about the sports parts, we're going to talk <laughs> about the life parts, and see what the people had to say about those specific individual and uncrossing parts they don't cross with each other what about just... the this parts uh that's that's harder to determine all right i quit <laughs> oh he's gone oh he's out the door oh he's slapping his ass <laughs> i don't know why he's slapping his ass at me put that ass away oh he's back okay sorry i was i got that was dramatic i, I apologize You're such a diva 
I know. Well, I've got some uh, unfortunate news for you, Jason. What's that? Not a lot of people have seen this really? morning life. How, how is that a possible? <laughs> I don't know. But we have a few comments from people who have. Okay, well, let's see what they have to say, Brendan. Well, one of them is very, very straightforward uh, from Peter Lawrence. Uh, love it. Masterpiece. Okay, great. Yeah, sure. It's a pretty good movie. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Pretty great. What? Are, but look at this, Jason. Actor Robert Forrester. Actor Robert Forrester, famous uh, for being in Jackie Brown, one of my favorite, probably my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, Robert, hot take. Yep. Hey, I'm, I don't think that's crazy. That's no. I'm just uh, no. I'm just saying it's a hot take. Though. <laughs> it's not I like it's a bad movie. No, no. I'm just saying I don't think there's too many people. Do you who know why would. I like that movie so much? This here is the AK-47. When you absolutely, positively have to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitute. I thought you were going to say Bridget Fonda. Ah, she's great too. Okay. So, what is Robert For actor Robert Forster? Actor say? Robert Forster says it's a very good film. Probably one of the best sports movies. Flawless uh, impression. I don't know if I agree with that specific. I don't know if it's really a sports movie. Flawless impression, by the Thank way. Thank you, by the way. I'm doing my best. Uh, well, actually, no. He's he sounds more. He's got more of a more of a this. He's it's got, one of the best sports a of movies. A, a bit of a Minnesota, a little bit of Minnesota mixed with a bit of New York. He's got a bit of this. Jackie, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, Jackie. Jackie. Everybody. Jackie, you can't keep doing this, Jackie. You can't keep doing this shit, Jackie. Everybody listening right now is like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, sports movie, yeah, I don't know. It's. I mean, there's sports I mean, movies there's, that... There's sports in it, but it's really secondary to what's going on. It's not like True. the movie's about him going on like a the, the quest to win the rugby, I don't know, cup or uh, trophy or whatever the fuck they call it. Yeah. The skin, the rugby skin, I assume it's a fucking buffalo that's been skinned and shipped over from North America in the 1700s and now it's a fucking trophy? Well, that's an opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I like history, I just don't understand it. There's no, uh, there's no, like, big game at the end or anything. No, no, no. Well, there, there is a game at the end, but it's not like, the, it's just him in a game. It's yeah, not, it's not, but it's not like, you know, they're building to it or whatever. No, he just but looks I, sad. I get it. It, it. It's it's a great movie. Um, So Jenny Rogers says, mm. I loved parts of it and fast forwarded through others. I'm not good at ten minutes of watching a man sulk. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> um, although, although, to the movie's credit, I don't think the movie is ever saying he's a good person. No. Uh, for for feeling what he feels. But yeah, I get it. What, uh, Adam Pellman says something Adam as well. Pellman says, great film, but yes, very depressing. A really wonderfully physical, animalistic performance from Richard Harris. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. He is kind of like an animal. Well, he's yeah. a big ape on a field. He's a big ape on a field, exactly. Yeah, not the character Big Ape from 2019, uh, uh, 2019 after the fall of New York. Brendan, you're not allowed to talk about your other podcasts. <laughs> well, you can check us out on What Were They Thinking on iTunes, Spotify. I'm Stitch lodging a complaint with HR, which I guess technically is you. Ha so. <laughs> ha! Wait, what? I gotta, I gotta find. Why did I do that to myself? What's going on? I'm taking this to the top. Oh, wait a second, that's me too. Damn it! What a whirlwind! What a whirlwind! What a roller coaster of emotions! All right, last one here. Last comment is from Mark Newfang. Um, just a little background. Mark Newfang is doing his best actress challenge. We mm -hmm. talked about him a, little, a few episodes ago. And so he said he watched it for his best actress challenge, Rachel Roberts. Mm -hmm. uh, he said good performances all around, but yes. Bit of a downer. Yeah, a bit. Bit of a downer. <laughs> so, all in all, not a lot of people have seen it, and it's a depressing movie. Basically, if you're looking to watch a depressing movie some night, but you don't want to watch something as important to Schindler's List, watch The Sporting Life. Yeah. It's basically Schindler's List, but with less Jewish people? Schindler's List with less Jewish people and more rugby. 
Not that much more rugby. No, like I mean, there's got to be a little bit of rugby in Schindler's List. Everybody <laughs> likes rugby. You don't, you don't remember that rugby scene? You know, the famous rugby scene where, where uh, what's-his-name is taking shots at them while they're playing? Oh, my God. He had money on the game, so he was only shooting one side. Oh, so he's actually got a good reason? Yeah, oh, yeah. He's, I mean, obviously, he's justified. <laughs> oh, my God. And podcast over. <laughs> Canceled again. So, the, uh, Jason, we do one thing on this uh, on this little section mm-hmm. that we got to do at the end here. We compare this movie, which is number 52 mm-hmm. on the BFI Top 100, to the number 52 movie on the AFI Top 100. That is the American Film Institute. And if you want to watch that movie, then you can go watch along with Paul Shear and the Unspooled Pod. Because we're not fucking touching that. No, that's their shit. That's their that's their territory. Yeah, we're Paul, over here on the island. Paul and Amy, you do you, we'll do us. That's right. And each other, jerks. Wow. Number fifty-two on the AFI is Taxi Driver. Ooh, I'm gonna have to give a. I'm gonna have to give it to Taxi Driver. Yeah, on this I, one. I would probably give it to Taxi Driver too. I mean, like I say, This Morning Life, great movie. Taxi Driver, also a great movie. Yeah, both very dark movies. Both uh, depressing, I guess, in ways. Uh, I mean, but, you, have to, you have to give it to Taxi Driver for influence alone. But yeah, that's it. Taxi Driver, I mean, look look at who's in it. You got Robert De Niro. Yep. You got Harvey Keitel. Ben Kingsley. Liam Neeson. Oh, sorry. I thought we were still talking about Schindler's <laughs> List. <laughs> you got uh, a super young Jodie Foster. Yes. The one that... Uh, As a hooker. The one that uh, somebody shot the president for. Exactly. Exactly. That was a uh, yeah. She, she somebody tried to shoot the president for Jodie Foster. What, uh, what was the guy's name? Reagan, the greatest American hero. Reagan shot the president. Yeah, Reagan shot himself for Jodie Foster. <laughs> Why would? Well, John- yeah, Jodie, uh, I enjoy your work, and and, and I was hoping that you would uh, come and have some jelly beans with me, and then I would plug myself with this forty-five. It was uh, John Hinckley. Ah, right. That, and then they changed the name of the guy in the American Greatest American Hero because his name was Hinckley. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a fact. Play okay. I'll give you more obscure. Play by Brad Hall in a sketch on Saturday Night Live. Nice. How's about that? <laughs> nice. Okay. So was they Andrew Vance in the sketch. <laughs> that was a different era. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I I think we're both going Taxi Driver on this one. All right. But I mean, both great movies. So that's gonna do it for this sporting life. We've talked enough about it, Jason. Yeah. We need to get into this week. We need to get into the go between. Boom. choice of haunting music means we're talking about the go-between yes directed by joseph losey joseph losey losey starring julie christie and alan bates dominic gard in his debut role margaret layton and michael gow yes anybody else that matters Um, oh edward fox Edward Fox, absolutely. Who we've seen before yeah. in this sporting life, but a very, oh. very small part. Was he like one of the other lads? He's like a, he's like a the bar owner is what he's credited oh. as. Okay, which he's not even. Oh, he's it. Oh, okay. He's also uncredited, so right. he's like barely in it. But this is technically our second Edward Fox. Yeah, so there we go. Uh, Edward Fox has Hugh Trimmingham. Yeah, that's right. 
So, in this movie. Yes. So, Jason, the go-between, 1971, we just said all that shit about who was in it, who yep. made it. What am I even talking about? I'm losing my mind. I'm having a stroke. Quickly tell us what this movie's about. Quickly. All right. So, <laughs> this movie is... You don't have to talk fast. <laughs> this movie is about a young boy, a 12-year-old boy, in fact, 12 going on 13, named Leo Colston. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 12 going on 30. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that kind of movie. He was 12 going on 45, officer. So Leo, Leo who's 12, is, uh, we don't find this explicitly in the movie, but uh, he's going to spend the summer with his friend, his buddy. His horrible his, friend. His, well, his, I don't know if he's horrible, he's just kind of a shit, but they're, they're kids, right? But he's like that rich kind of horrible yeah, he's, shit. He, he, oh yes, he's got a bit of a little talk like this, oh. But he's not as bad Leo. as the other slightly older child. Yes, oh absolutely. But yes, uh, go ahead. But our hero is Leo Colston. He's a young lad, he's visiting his friend Marcus's family count country manor one summer in 1900 now when marcus takes sick with the measles leo all of a sudden doesn't have shit to do you know how that is when you're out with your friend or you're like hanging out with your friend and they're at their house and then maybe they have to go away and do something or they get sick and you're stuck there and you're just mulling around you're getting into the sister's underwear you're doing all the sorts of things that normal boys do and you're bored but this was 1900, Brendan. You couldn't get near the sister's underwear drawer. You so Could you just watch HBO? No, there was no TV. Okay, but you could watch Showtime. There was no TV. What about Marvel's The Avengers? There was no TV. At the theater. At the theater. Remember when we covered Marvel's The Avengers? No. No, I don't, Brendan. <laughs> Close your mouth and just let me nurse this headache I have from that episode and let us move on. <sighs> Two weeks ago, you still have a headache, huh? Uh, Mamma mia. I don't know what that has to do with the Avengers, but okay. So, because Leo can't get into the sister's uh, underwear drawer, which is not really a thing that happened in the movie, that's just a product of my own sick mind, uh, he actually turns to the sister. Turns out that uh, Marcus's older sister is named Marianne, or Marion, I Marianne, suppose. Yeah. Marion, like Maid Marion. Played, by, played by our old friend, Julie Christie. All right. Good I to see her again. love Julie Christie, and she, once again, looks lovely in this movie exactly not darling levels but still pretty good no she's got a real uh a, a real old-timey look because it's an old-timey movie yeah, she's got a certain I mean, elegance to her in yeah. this film yeah. but she is marcus's older sister and, and leo takes a liking leo does take a liking to her leo is is 12 years old he's right in the wheelhouse of of uh of stuff happening mm -hmm. and of course back then nobody would tell anybody anything so he's confused as fuck mm -hmm. this time He's uh, He becomes friends with Marion, but then Marion asks him to do something for her, and it's not what you think. Well, I mean, before that, though, he meets Alan Bates' character first. Yes, yes, we should probably mention that. <laughs> we should, we should, well, I, I had him afterwards, the fact. You, you yeah. skipped right to the measles. Right, because, uh, because they, they go out swimming, and there's a man already swimming uh, in the water, and, of course, they're rich assholes. They're so like, oh, should we tell him to go away? What? Send him away. Shall I play that? Yeah, do it. So basically, yeah, so he's staying with his family, Leo, and yeah, they go swimming, but Leo's not allowed to swim because his mother said he's liable to catch cold or yeah. something easily. Um, so he, he, anyway, they spot uh, Alan Bates playing the character Ted Burgess, yep. and they don't really know him socially, as you'll hear, Yeah. but uh, this lovely exchange takes place. Shall we order him off? It's Ted Burgess. Who's he? The tenant of Black Farm. We can't be rude to him. He farms the land on the other side. Perhaps you'd better be nice to him. I shall just say, how do you do? We don't know him socially, of course. 
But I think I'd better be nice to him, don't you? I would say so. I didn't know anyone was going to be here. Just started on the harvest. Got so hot. Don't worry at all, please. We were hot too, up at the hall. Very hot. Why won't we laugh? Just one more header? Absolutely, absolutely. I think I put him at his ease, don't you? A lot, a lot of big talk and then little talk in action. Yeah. Um, and also before that, too, I just want to mention that uh, they're almost treating him like an object, this, yeah. this kid, this Leo kid. And uh, and before the letters thing even starts, uh, Julie Christie, we'll just call her Julie Christie. Yeah. She, Marian. she, she, or Marion, okay, fine. Marion says, oh, I'll take him in to get a new outfit yeah. because he's sweating bullets. And he, of course, he's British, so he won't admit that he's hot and yeah. that everything's fine. And he is pretty hot. No, yeah. I gotta cut that out. I gotta cut that part. You're out. going to jail, Brennan. Finally, uh, finally. your reign of terror is over. Uh, I'll see you there, Jared. But yeah, no, he's he's literally just sweating his balls off uh, and won't won't admit to it. But Julie Christie is smart enough and sees that and it's like, oh, I'll take him into town. And very eager uniform. to take him into town. Very eager to take him. And which town. the mother is already like. Why don't you just wait till Hugh gets home, like her boyfriend? Already establishing a little bit of wariness. Yeah, and she's like, "No, no, Hugh will want to go shopping." So when she takes him shopping, they have a co- they have a little conversation here mm. that I do want to play. All right, let's play it. It's meant to be like a funny little moment, but mm-hmm. it's also kind of telling in a way. We should also know before I even play this clip, we're jumping all over the place. I apologize, but the kid has also said that he has he knows how to do curses. Yeah, that's a weird little detail that 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 occasionally reappears in the movie, and that people humor him about him. They're yeah, like, oh, you do curses, do he you? Said, oh, he wow. says he he coaxed some boys to jump up a jump off a roof, and he's like, oh, did the fa- the family's just like, oh, did they die? And he's like, no, they were horribly mutilated. Oh yes, oh, oh, horribly oh, mutilated. Oh yes, of course, good show, that's, old boy. That's lovely, lovely. No reaction to it whatsoever. Yeah. But anyway, this is her kind of re- refer uh, referencing that, but also there's more going on. So they're just eat, sitting in a restaurant eating. Used any black magic on anyone lately? Not lately, no. I envy your power. What's it like to have such power at your fingertips? Oh, it makes you feel fairly good. But I only ever use it at school, you know. Can you teach me? I could use it here. Would you really want to? (laughs) No, not really. The results might be too alarming. Isn't that interesting? Like, that scene right away, you're getting a sense that, like, oh, she's different from everyone else. Like, she's saying, right, if I had the power to kind of control things, the status quo would not be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure was the thought of many young women back in those days uh, yeah. uh, that just wanted to get ahead. Exactly. Get head. No, no. To oh, get a oh, head. Oh, sorry. One head. One instance of head. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, n- no. The oh. actual physical heads. Because, oh, I mean, the, like bo- the boar war had happened a few years before, so they wanted some boar heads. Well, there is a line in this movie that someone was gored by the boars. Just want to say that. That's, a, that that's a funny line. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so they get they get him a new suit. A green suit, which is interesting, because isn't green often, like, the color representing, like, inexperience? Like, yeah, so well, to, to say somebody is a green, yeah, a greenhorn yeah. or the yeah. green, yeah, yeah. I think that was, I think that was very conscious I think that was choice. intentional. Yes, very. It was a lovely green, though. Yeah, so they, so they bring him back, and yes, that then is when he decides to explore. He goes sl- sliding down a haystack, because yep. that's what you do. Which, to be f- which I have to point out, I have 
jumped out of a barn and fallen down a haystack before and I was this was the most intense scene in the movie for me because I just felt my ass getting slammed mm-hmm. when he jumped out of that because he jumped into the hay and it's like oh fuck there's a board there or something he's gonna break his ass but he didn't he was lucky no he just gets a he really gets, badly skid knee he gets a skid knee as he catches a branch at the bottom of it he's very lucky right and then that's when we meet Alan Bates playing Ted, Ted Burgess. Burgess well we already met him but this is where we're really meeting him yeah we're meeting him a local farmer and as it turns out a coxman a coxman <laughs> yes absolutely a secret lover to one Marion <gasps> Bob, 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 Bob. Cue the Cape Fear music. Do, 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 do. What? That is. Hey, that's a love boat. Never mind. Yeah, that's a the different movie. Cape different Fear show. Music is. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, okay. Like from the sideshow Bob episode of The Simpsons, or the movie, Cape or the Fear. movie Cape Fear that it is based on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so this is where uh, he Ted Burgess is like cleaning up his knee and stuff. Mm-hmm. And guess what? We got a clip. I got a clip. Because this is where okay, so this is the crux. This is where the crux of the movie begins. Mm-hmm. So Ted Burgess is figuring out like if this kid is trustworthy. Yeah. Because this kid is new to the area and he's kind of he's kind of figuring him out. And Alan Bates' acting is really good here because you kind of see the the wheels turning in his head and he's like, hmm, maybe I can use this boy to my advantage. How can I exploit this child? He says to himself. So many people do this. Yeah. All right, here we go. How old are you? I shall be 13 on the 27th of this month. Can I trust you? Of course you can. There's a boy, isn't there? A lad of your age? He's in bed with measles. Oh, is he? Are you ever alone with anybody in the house? Nobody talks to me much. They're all grown up, you see, except Marcus. He's in bed. Oh, Marion talks to me. Miss Marion. How did she? She often talks to me. She talks to me most. When her hair was wet... I ever alone with her? Or you mean just the two of you in a room with no one else? Well, sometimes. Sometimes we sit together on a sofa. On a sofa? Hmm. Could you give her a letter? Without anybody else seeing? Of course I could. But can I trust you? To keep your mouth shut? Because, you see... It's a secret. All right. I'll trust you. And I'm sorry, that was a lengthy clip. But I think it's a very important... Uh, it's a real bit of acting. And uh, very important. It sets up the whole movie. This this scene is the very origin of 1971's most popular British superhero, The Go-Between. <laughs> Yes. Whose superpower is the ability to run messages almost instantaneously between people. Please tell me it's a Marvel character, not a DC one. It's a. It's actually a... Uh, Dark Horse uh, Comics? Uh, it is... Uh, shit, I can't even pull an old obscure comics image? company. Yeah, it's an <laughs> it's, image comic. It's, I, he had that uh, team-up episode with Spawn. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Um, 
He gives he says, "Can you give me this letter?" So yeah. he gives a letter to Marion, and then she is very like, "Oh, Ooh. like." It puts it in her sleeve. Mm. So you, like, obviously us watching it, I think we know. I think we know what's right going away, on right away. But he is a child. He's oblivious. He, he has no idea. He he's thinks it's clue. just a secret friendship thing. He think he thinks he's making some some inroads with her. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't know what that is. No. He literally does not know and is confused and doesn't have any idea what he would even, what he would even do had he had it. Right. But after she cleans him up, she gives him a letter. Mm. And he becomes... The post, basically the postman for the postman. her yeah. uh, and uh, Ted Burgess. Yeah. And by postman, I mean, of course, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. This is this, the, 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 the movie The Postman was partially a remake of this film. This is in the postverse. Yes, in the postverse. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we've established to this point, it's pretty clear that, that Ted Burgess and Marion... Mm, what's the last name? Begins with an M. Maudsley. Is that really what it is? Marion? Okay, yeah. Marion Maudsley. Ted Burgess and Marion Maudsley are secret lovers, mm. which is a problem because, because A, Marion <laughs> is 1900, B, Marion is of a completely different social class than Ted, mm-hmm. which is, as is often the trouble in British films and books, uh, and thirdly, she's already promised, engaged, are they engaged? To a very interesting character. Yeah, a very interesting character. Hugh One, Trimingham. Yeah, the Viscount. Hugh Trimingham, a.k.a. Trimsey. That's what I call him. (laughs) Yes, let's call him Trimsey. Trimsey. Played by Edward Fox. Edward Fox. He is a Boer War veteran, which is why it's funny when they say he was gored by a boar because he's got a big scar on the side of his face. Yeah, and, well, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll wait till we dive in, but i got a lot to say about him. All right. So, yeah, Hugh Hugh Trimingham, who uh, we meet in the middle of prayer, Mm. right? That's where we first see him. And what what does he want Leo to do? Send a message. Right. Yeah. So he comes to go between for him. Yeah. He says, tell Marion she left her prayer book in the... Which is code for tell Marion I'm gonna fuck that pussy later. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I'm assuming. This would have been a more interesting movie if the if the, everybody had just been super explicit with their messages <laughs> and he still didn't get it, but he's I, like, there's something here. Yeah. I will say that I do kind of like that we never actually get to read the letters mm. that go back and forth between Marion well, and really Ted Burgess. But it's kind of interesting too because it kind of puts us in the, in the shoes of the kid. Yeah. Right? Exactly. He doesn't know until he knows, but we'll get there. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Um, so yeah, he gets he gets um, the he gets Leo to give uh, Mary in a letter about her prayer book or whatever. Yeah. They pound it out, and uh, she says, "Oh, thank you." Uh, yes, I appreciate that very much. Yeah. What's next, Jason? What happens after? Well, this? so basically, this this becomes Leo's. Uh, we get a montage a montage of Leo running messages back and forth. Clearly, Marcus is still sick, and Leo has nothing else to do, so he's running back and forth across this country manor. Uh, delivering messages um, and not knowing exactly why uh, I believe she tells him that they have business, a business. Yeah, yeah like they have some sort of financial arrangement yeah maybe I, they do but, but, well, maybe that's part of it well, who knows I don't, I, I don't know about that <laughs> somebody's getting money Brendan somewhere are you saying she's a prostitute maybe he's a prostitute that's she's fair. the rich one I mean yeah but uh, yeah yeah you, you gotta pay for discretion Brendan right, right. <laughs> although Elliot Spitzer might disagree with that <laughs> Wow, timely, time, so, timely and relevant reference. Um, we recorded this episode in 2011. Oh, okay, <laughs> or was whatever. Time in 2006. I feel like it, or was it? Whatever that was. I don't know. He briefly had a show on CNN. Remember that? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't remember if it was before or after, but yeah. it was after. Okay. And, and no, I don't remember. So, uh, yeah. So he's been running the messages back and forth. Doesn't really realize why. Finally, one day, he's like, "You know what? I'm gonna take a look." Bad move. Bad move, because he opens up the letter, and suddenly 
realizes the full extent of what is going on. And it's a pretty um, interesting way they show this because he's kind of halfway in between. He's got a in between his go between. Mm-hmm. And he stops and looks at the letter, just at the top part. He yeah. doesn't read the whole thing. And it says something, you know, like darling yeah. and hearts and stuff. And he basically breaks down. Yeah. Um, because this is the woman that he was in love with, that he's been in love with, and not knowing what to do about it. I'm glad that never happened to the movie, though. Yeah. No, I mean, certainly, it would have been a much different movie that may have not been on this list. Julie Christie was 30 years old at the time, ah, so... Yes. Well, that was 1971. That was cool the other way around, if it was a guy and a girl, so... Yeah, totally... Well, I don't know about 13, but 13. <laughs> Roman Polanski sure thought so, Brendan. Wait a second. Didn't they make a whole movie about that starring Jennifer Garner? 13 going on 30? I'm pretty yeah, sure that's that the one. That's, that's, that's the about, movie. right? Yeah, yeah. Thir- a... 13 ghosts? <laughs> yeah. It's about 13 ghosts having sex with 30 humans. That's right. <laughs> and 13 going on 30 was Jennifer Garner at 30 years old having sex with a 13-year-old. That right? was that was actually her, her her mom switched into her child body. Yeah, I was surprised that that was only PG. Yeah, it was weird. It was yeah, it was very dark and very twisted. But anyway, Disney's the go between. Let's back, back to, to Disney's this. the go between. Uh, <laughs> that actually works. Yeah. Saying it like that, Disney's I can totally picture Disney's the go between. Why not? Like... We could do this as an animated movie, except all the people are mice. <laughs> And there's inexplicably a song in the middle yep, of the movie. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm the go between. I run here and there. I thought she loved me, but it was not so. <laughs> we gotta get on this. Yeah, we gotta uh, keep talking about the movie. So he breaks so this breaks his heart. He's as he's clearly been developing feelings for Marion. And he's further frustrated because he he struggles to understand what love even is. He wants to know what love is. He, he wants, wants you to show him. Which again, don't. Uh, he can figure that out on his own. But he but he he doesn't even understand how people express it physically. Brendan, remember what it was like in those days when you didn't know what was going on? No, nope, I always knew. Oh, you always knew. You just you came at you came out fully formed, as it were. Yeah. So. Yeah. He he does. Are you going to say he asks Ted about it? Yes, he does ask Ted about it. Would you like to hear that? I would like to hear that. That's a weird scene, but yes. Okay. So he is asking Ted about the birds and the bees mm-hmm. because he wants to know what the hell this all means. You said you'd tell me about spooning. <laughs> I don't know any other word. Is there another word? You said you'd tell me. Yes. And now I'm not sure that I shall. Why not? Sir John, he died. Really? My father's dead. And I'm quite sure he never did it. Oh, are you? You can't break your promise. Well, it means putting your arm around a girl and kissing her. That's what it means. Oh, I know that. But it's something else. It makes you feel something. What do you like doing best? Kettle's water. It's like whatever you like doing best. And that's some more. Yes, but what more? What is lover like? What does it mean? What is a lover? What does a lover do? Are you a lover? What do you do? You know. I know you know. And I won't take any more messages for you unless you tell me. You get out there, quick! Hey! He reacted strongly. 
it was a little harsh. But I gotta say, like, I think if I'm choosing between Ted and as much as I love Julie Christie, yeah. Ted and Marion in this movie, I think he's a little nicer than Marion. Yeah, I, I I think Ted actually does give a half a shit about the kid. Like, he probably yeah. sees some of himself in him, but but Julie Christie's character, Marion, is clearly using him. She and, like, it is a... Are we even at that point? I think we're, we're almost at that point, there. that reveal, right? Because that blew yeah. my mind. Yeah, where where he goes to... She, he basically goes to her because he wants to talk about the fact he wants out. He wants Well, Oedipus. she approaches him yeah. with another letter. Oh, right, yes. Because this is after he's found... Okay, so wait, before this... There's a cricket game. Yeah. There's a giant cricket game where he actually uh, catches the ball and wins and yeah. defeats uh, Ted. Ted. He, he catches Ted's ball. Yeah, and Ted's just like, okay, cool, bud. Yeah. They go and they uh, they go to a post cricket music hall because that's what you do. Mm. And Jason, yeah, two movies in a row <laughs> where they sing a song about their real feelings. Because listen to this. This is Ted singing a song with uh, Marion on piano, and it's what he feels. Take my counsel, happy man Act upon it if you can If you can, if you can Act upon it if you can Happy man, if you can Right? Yeah. Like, act upon it if you can. Basically, you know... Take what you can get. Take what you can get. I know the the, there's love there. Act upon it. Be with me. Uh, Suck my penis. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I got from that. But anyway, yeah. So after that song... I just wanted to fill in the blanks before you get to that part. So after that song, they're they're leaving. And I think this is where uh, Marcus, who's fine now, yeah. recovered from the measles, tells him that, uh, tells Leo that Hugh and Marion are engaged to be married. They're mm. going to announce their engagement. Yeah. And Leo is kind of like very conflicted because he knows that she is like in love with Ted and yeah. he's not quite understanding how they can both exist at the same time. Affairs. He doesn't know anything about that. Yeah, like, exactly. He doesn't know anything about it. It's, I mean, in addition to just the, the basics being confusing, now you've got this advanced uh, section of affairs happening and he has no idea. Right. And this is what you were talking about. And this, I think, is the most, uh, I think this is the most interesting part of the movie because, yeah, he's sitting on the bench, Marion comes over with the letter and should we... Yep. We Let's just I play it. We have a lot of clips. Yeah. But they're good. Let's so play this they're, one. they're important. So this is uh so yeah, so he's being very conflicted. He's sitting down. Marion comes up with another letter, and something unexpected happens. Hello, Leo. Just the man I was looking for. Will you do something for me? Yes, what? Take this letter. But who to? Who to? Oh, I did the farm, you silly. What's the matter? But I can't. Can't? Why not? Because of Hugh. Hugh? What has Hugh to do with it? He might be upset. What has Hugh got to do with it? I told you, this is a business matter between Mr. Burgess and myself. It has nothing to do with anybody else, no one else in the world. Do you understand, or are you too stupid? You and Hugh. You and Tremere. What are you talking about? You've come into this house, our guest. A poor nothing out of nowhere. We take you in. We know nothing about you. We feed you, we clothe you. We make a great fuss of you. Then 
You have the damn cheek to say you won't do a simple thing that any... Something like me ragamuffin in the street would do for nothing. Nothing! You want paying, I suppose. I see. How much do you want? Hey, Julie Christie. I see your true colors shining through. This was a harsh moment in the movie. This was just like, oh, fuck. She's just a manipulative bitch. And it's, she's going to pull out all the, like, mom tricks to It's kind shame of unexpected him. because you think that at first she is the kind of the bright spot in that family. Yeah. But it turns out not quite. And I, I, I want to debate that a little bit, mm. maybe, maybe later on, but I want to debate a little bit in terms of, like, is she actually cold and using him 100% or is this just her frustration about... Like, her frustration's coming through, too, because, you know, obviously she can't be with this guy. Yeah. And that's why she's in such denial that she's like, no, 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 it's not that. It's a business deal. What the? What, the, what are you talking about, you stupid? Yeah. I, I feel like, if anything, it shows that her character, where her character's priorities lie. She's flawed. She's yeah. a super flawed character. And, I think and, this is the. I think this is the most cruel one she's played so far. Oh, yeah. Because in Darling, she's very much, like, um, naive. Yeah. But she's, you know, she's a good person. She's a pretty good person she's just a little naive and she you know sleeps around a little bit but i'm not i'm not gonna shame her no in that no. movie and no, dr Zhivago, she's great yeah no it's, it's not the sleeping around that's the issue to modernize it's the being a bitch and using a child for your own sex needs oh yeah i've got no problem with the actually I, like from the beginning of the movie you're behind this yeah. little love affair and then when that happens you kind of like mm. question stuff and also the fact i would say that 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 um i wonder if trimmingham she- Seems like a stand-up guy. That he's super nice to to um, Leo, and that is the one thing I. That's another thing I wanted to talk about too. Is that you? Okay, you watch a movie like this, you expect Hugh Trimmingham to be the biggest asshole. Oh yeah, he's a, he. He just looks like he should be the aristocrat the who's biggest all stuck up and dicky, douchebag, yeah. piece of shit, and he's totally not. No, he's, he's v- actually very accommodating to Leo, and even's like, oh, call me Hugh. He goes, oh, well, or he called me Trimmingham. Yeah. Well, you're a viscount. He goes, yeah, but call me Hugh or Trimmingham. <laughs> and even towards the. Even at the end of the film, which we'll get to later, his actions at the end of the film, which we hear about, are very, like, noble. Mm. And you're like, whoa. Like, this guy is not the asshole. I wonder if, like, Ted is the one that's more in love. And that she is just in it for, like, the the fun I think that is the case based on the end of the film. That's I think so, too. I think that might be a hot take from us, Jason. But I think that's what's (laughs) going on. Anyway, go ahead. So, yeah. So, So, he wanted out. She pulled him back in. Yeah, yeah. She, he, he delivers the letter anyway. <laughs> he delivers it anyways. And and um, Ted had, Ted did warn Leo that if uh, she he said anything about not doing the letters anymore, that she might change her affections for him. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, I'll tell you what I wanted to point out just just briefly, just to mention. Uh, every time they had a cricket match, uh, and everybody was dressed up in their hats and shit, I had just. Instant memories of Sam Peckinpah's Salad Days, which was a sketch on Monty Python's Flying Circus, where they're all like upper crust people like that, and then it all of a sudden gets super violent for no reason, and it's hilarious. <laughs> well, we do have a, conver- uh, a scene with a conversation where Leo is talking to Hugh, uh, po- straight up asking him what he thinks about Ted. Yeah. And we also got Michael Gao, who we didn't really mention a lot. But, but we have Gao, to point him out. Michael Gao is in this movie, a.k.a. Uh, more modern. Of course, you know, younger people probably know him best as, like, Alfred in the Tim Burton and the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Absolutely. Um, he's in a lot of Tim Burton movies, actually. Oh, yeah. Like, like almost all of them. Huh. <laughs> 
But anyway, he's there. And they're both, I feel like Hugh and Mr. Maudsley. By the are, way, let's, let's mention, Michael Gow is, is Marion and Marcus's father. Yes. Yes. Um, I feel like they're kind of aware that something is going on. Mm. Because the way they kind of answer questions about uh, Ted is they're very like, oh, yes, well, he's a bit of a lady killer, blah, 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 blah. But the way they answer... It's another acting thing that I think they're both very good at is that they 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 know something's up, mm-hmm. but I think they're willing to look past it. The mother especially is aware that something is up, and we don't we cannot skip yeah. past mentioning uh, Margaret Layton playing yeah. Mrs. Monson because she's very very good. Yeah, she's she's not there's not that much like she doesn't really do as much she, in the film. She does a lot with a little. Yeah, exactly. If she comes right at the end, she kind of yeah. really gets into it, and she is great. Um, oh, so this is a mention, weird. This is a weird scene coming uh, up here. The, the, the poison thing, Belladonna thing. Yeah. So there's a nightshade. Yeah. And it's it, on. I think it's in between the spot where he goes from the house to the barn. Yeah, because at the beginning of the movie, Marcus and him are running around the plants, and it's like, oh look, it's 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 deadly nightshade. Deadly nightshade. Yeah. Actual Belladonna. Yeah. <laughs> and um. He takes it and like puts it in a. He like strains it and then pours it down the the toilet. Well, he puts it into a cup and then he holds the cup up and I'm thinking, is this kid gonna kill himself? Are we having like a Romeo and Juliet moment I here? I thought he was gonna poison someone. Yeah. Or or him or I I didn't even think he was gonna poison anybody else. I thought he was just gonna kill himself. But then he dumps it down the drain. Yeah. I don't know. Is that symbolic? <laughs> it was strange. Um. It, it, well, it was one of his curses, right? Oh, he's right. opening the oh. curse book, but I don't know what the curse was. Oh. So I tried... it didn't matter, or maybe that was the end of the movie that everything got fucked. <laughs> everything went to fuck because he did that curse. Well, and I tried looking up. There was some writing on the t- on the text when he opens it up, and I tried yeah. looking it up to see if it was a reference to something. I got nothing. Yeah. So I don't know what the. I don't quite know what the. I don't feel like the curse is part of the book because it's based on a book. Yeah. I don't feel like that part of the book translates very well to the movie. Mm-hmm. It kind of just kind of sits. There. I, I feel like it's one of those things that shows that he wants he wants to end this relationship between Ted and perhaps uh, yeah Marion because it is hard on him and it is hard on on his idea of Marion and it's just causing shit and also on Hugh because I I think. I think Leo likes Hugh mm. and probably doesn't want to see Hugh hurt in this situation. Uh, so he's gonna, so he's gonna he's gonna do this curse and he's gonna and he's gonna cause this relationship to end and everything's gonna be fine. At the same time, I don't know. And I know Marion is using him, but at the same time, I don't know if this movie is maybe a little too harsh on her. Yeah, because. I think she wants to get out of the life, as it as it were. Like yeah. you have to marry this person, you have to be with this person forever, because that's who Hugh is. Mm-hmm. He's the person she's going to marry, whether they're in love or not. Yeah. And I don't know, like making her this kind of like this kind of person is kind of a little harsh. Yeah, but it's the kind thing of a is, weird is, is message that, that we're she, sending. The, the thing about her in this movie is that she is she doesn't have the balls to just grab Ted and fucking leave to like just take off, which but you I mean, could do in those days. I you mean, could she could just disappear, but with money though like well, i think it. she leaves the family so she's, she's cut she, off that's it and she's she doesn't have the the skills and she doesn't have the desire and she doesn't have the means to survive on yeah. her own and she won't try she won't just go because it's like if you really want out of this life it's 1900 you can get out of that life and go live a different life if you want to it is entirely possible so after this uh we are close to the end but this yeah. is where uh this is one of the last kind of kind of tense scenes where Leo, well, first of all, Leo tries to go home. He wants he, to go yeah, home. Yeah, he, he writes home to his mother, and his mom writes him back, and is like, look, you've only got 10 days left. Yeah. Suck it up, like my mom would say. Suck it up. Deal with it. You'll be home soon enough. Exactly. 
And he's but he was convinced she was going to bring him home too. Right, because he's <laughs> telling everyone I'm leaving. Yes, but no, will bring me home. But no, he's going to stay because his thirteenth birthday is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. But before that, Marion seems to have you know forgive and forget. She's a lot nicer to him because she has another letter. Uh-huh. And at first he doesn't want to take it, and they kind of like they kind of joke around a little bit this time. But then Mrs. Maudsley catches them. Yes, and she sees that he ha- uh, he has a letter and tries to figure out. And they make up this story about like her grandmother that's like dying or something. Uh, n- or sick. the nanny. Whatever. Yeah. That she's very sick and that he's delivering a letter for her. And she kind of pries like, oh, do you often deliver letters to her? And he's like, oh, yes, many times. And then she says, okay, well, off you go. And he says, do you know the way? And she says, well, why don't you know the way if you've been there so many times? Yeah. And he just barely escapes by the skin of his well, teeth. And she's like, oh, go give me the letter. I'll give it to the gardener and he'll run it over. He'll run it over, yeah. Yeah, totally calling his bluff. Yeah, and he says, oh, I dropped it. And she doesn't even make him turn out his pockets. She's like, I, w- I won't ask you to do that. Right, because she's kind of nice to him, too. Um, although, they, again, it's weird because like they also kind of treat him like a pet. Yeah, but, they do. But... And yeah. also that this mom doesn't that mom doesn't directly address the situation. She's like playing around it. She's playing that game that she has to play because yeah. it's British society in 1900, and God forbid you talk about anything. Frankly, yeah, yeah. So she's dancing around it, no playing that game. No wonder everybody was fucking mm. upset and depressed back in the day. No wonder they put all their frustrations into conquering most of the planet. <laughs> Imperialism, <laughs> woohoo! Take that, Zulu. Space imperialism, it's coming back, baby. Oh God! All right. Uh, yeah. So, so Leo's yeah, birthday. Leo's birthday. So Leo has his 13th birthday. Yes. And Everyone it is in a Downton Abbey-like dining room. Yes, with extremely uh, low-key lighting. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, they're waiting for Marion. Mm-hmm. She has not shown She yet. has not arrived, and they're wondering, where's Marion? Well, let's send a cart to uh, her dying whatever's place. Yeah, we'll send her, her out there and see if we it's can It's raining. She probably yeah. just didn't walk home. But then the word comes back. She's not there. And Mrs. Mosley is like, well, Leo, you know where she is. Let's go get her right now. And Leo is obviously not interested in doing that for her, but she makes a very strong case and grabs his arm and basically forces him out. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do in that situation, how he can really resist, and he doesn't. And so while she's holding onto his arm, he has to lead her to the barn, where when they go in the barn, amongst the hay, we see... Julie Christie and Alan Bates fucking. making sweet, sweet love. Fucking. Fucking, yes. As 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 was the style at the time to call it. Yeah. Fucking. Or as uh, the Germans call it, Fuckunk. Right. Yeah. But they're, yeah, they're getting it on, and uh, Leo is horrified. Mrs. Maudsley is horrified, because now he sees what this is. Mm-hmm. He had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. He just kind of knew vaguely. Yeah. And... So then, all of a sudden, we didn't mention this, but we've been interspersing the movie with bits of prologue, or bits of epilogue. Which I didn't actually notice until the end of the movie. I didn't like it. Uh, I, I thought it wasn't present enough, but... Uh, yeah. And also, some of the scenes that were there were, had cars that were... Well, first off, they existed, and B, they were way, way futuristic compared to what was in 1900. Yeah. So I was confused when I saw those scenes. It, it's... Yeah, I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of that interspersed... I like when people play with time and stuff in yeah. movies, but I don't think it was done particularly well here. But anyway, we get epi- bits of epilogue with basically older Leo... Like, I mean older. Like, like, he's like, like in his 60s. 50s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like 50, 60. He's basically an empty shell of a man. Yeah. 
and he's visiting with uh, Marion, who's clearly Julie Christie with terrible old age a lot makeup. Of, a lot of old age makeup and slightly in shadow. Which is really funny because now she is now like she an older is lady age, and yeah. she looks nothing like that. We should we, Actually, we should go back in any movie where she had to play an old lady. We should get her to refilm those scenes now. Yes. Um, uh, for the Blu-ray special editions. Absolutely. Or the criteria. Dig up Michael Redgrave's body and we'll just do oh. a new scene. Michael Redgrave. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he's played by Michael Redgrave, hmm. older Leo. And we find out that Ted Burgess, after this, killed himself. Yeah, blew his own head off. Blew his head, yeah, blew his head off. He's a shotgun. Yeah. Um, Put it right in his mouth, Kurt Cobain style. We find out, yeah, Courtney Love is there too. Courtney Love killed... Uh, Ted Burgess? Ted Burgess. <laughs> I'm saying it now! Holy shit. <laughs> this just dropped on the podcast. And we find out that Hugh wouldn't have any of the negative talk about Marion because everybody was saying, oh, she's having an affair, she's having an affair. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 she's my wife, it's fine. We've always been in love, been together. And you kind of sound like, oh, he's actually a pretty decent guy. Yeah. But you find out the family pretty much disowned her. Yeah. Um, and she is like a lonely old lady now. Uh, and here's something I didn't really feel worked in mm-hmm. this movie is that we kind of... I get the notion that Leo is like a broken old man yeah. because of this one experience he had when he was, when he like was 13. 13. Yeah. I don't buy that. Yeah. It's it's a it's a leap. Yeah. Um I feel like that's something that maybe expanded more in the book that doesn't come across in the movie. I've heard I I looked a little bit into that yeah. and apparently it's not particularly uh believable in the book either. Oh, okay. But it's just it's a weird it's a weird thing. Like I don't that think That says a lot about a guy if an experience he had with thirteen broke him for the rest of his life. I mean you could say the first time he saw something sexual resulted in, you know, that person killing themselves. That's a pretty traumatic experience. Although I suppose in, in British society, especially at the time, uh, uh that would have I mean it was hard enough to to embrace or identify any aspect of your sexuality and then to have that happen and to further suppress it. I mean, yeah. yeah, no wonder he was broken. <laughs> sure, I, I just, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a little, it's a little far fetched to me. Yes, I, I would say, yeah, you can make that argument. Um, but yeah, so she says, "Can you do me this one last favor? Um, I bore a child with Ted Burgess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kid's real father is Ted. Can you go and tell him all about his real father?" And I think he doesn't do it. I thought, I thought it was actually his grandson that he wanted, to, or her grandson that she wanted uh, Leo to go talk to. Oh, maybe. Because she says something about, like, uh, what was he like? And she says, Ted Burgess. But I don't think he does it. Because I think we see older Leo go to the house yeah. where he's supposed to go, look at the house, and then drive away. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. He may have just seen the guy. He's, like, looked at him and is like, yep. Yeah, but I think she wanted him to give him a message. She's like, she's like, be our go-between one last time. And it's like, ugh, you're still, still trying to use him at this mm-hmm. old age. So maybe that's why he didn't do it then. Maybe. Um, but that, uh, that's the go-between. That is the go-between. It was an interesting film. Let's have a break. We gotta have, we gotta have a message from our sponsor. Jason, you know about Podcoin? Podcoin? Podcoin. Podcoin, yeah. Uh, what is Podcoin, Brendan? Well, here's the thing, Jason. We can talk about go-betweens. Yeah. Uh, Podcoin is sort of the go-between. It's the go-between between you and stuff that you could buy. Yes, mm-hmm. and the only thing you need to do in order for that to make that happen, you know what? It's gonna. It's very difficult. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You got to listen to podcasts. I already do that. Right. So you don't have to change a thing. No. All you got to do, download Podcoin uh-huh. on the App Store if you have an iPhone. Easy peasy. Or you can get it on the Android. If you like that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here to slam Androids. <laughs> I have one. It's great. Yeah, um, you would. You can listen to any podcast you can... You can think of. They're all on there. Thousands. They're not funny. 
On there. Giant Beast Cast. On there. Giant Bomb Cast. On there. Uh, Slim Tiddly and the Market Hour Watch Show. Yeah, episode 5 is my favorite. That's the best one. So you can listen to all those podcasts, and as you listen, you will get pod coins. Mm. And what you can do with those pod coins is you can get gift cards. Ooh. You can donate to charity. Mm. And that's all you got to do. Oh. Listen to podcasts. There's no strings. There's no, no strings. There's no payment plans. There's no fees. Nothing. There's no root kits in my app? No. Awesome. You just need a Wi-Fi connection. Uh-huh. Or, you know, data, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that's all you got to do. And if you sign up today, you can use the promo code ScreenPod. That's S-C-R-E-E-N-P-O-D. And you will get 300 bonus pod coins just for signing up. So many coins. And if you are already signed up and you're like, darn, I missed that opportunity to get bonus, never fear. Because you can still go into the PodCoin app, enter that code, and get your bonus pod coins. You will get paid. Paid to listen to podcasts. What are you doing? Why are you just listening to this? Well, keep listening to this. Finish the episode, then go do it. Then go do it. Absolutely. <laughs> you can finish this episode on PodCoin. That's right. So so if you're going to listen to us, why not get a little something in return? Yeah. I mean, if I had to listen to us, I'd want to get paid. Absolutely. And now, back to the show. So we're going to talk about... You wanted to mention something. I wanted to mention, here, I wanted we to mention a couple back things. Break. We were waiting for those gentlemen to... Yes, Absolutely. Ads. I just want to talk a little bit about the way the movie looks. I think it's a real nice looking movie. Um, it's no black narcissist as far as like it's the look, the look of the composition. It's not like it's the super like, but it's 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 a really grounded, realistic, I would say, looking type of movie because so often you can see a movie like this uh, or or a TV show that's in this kind of like the the county manor style, right? You watch a show like Downton Abbey, you watch a movie like Gosford Park, it's very like the grass the grass is super trimmed, everything is super clean and neat and tidy and looks great. This movie just feels a little off from that. Like the grass is just a little is not quite cut quite as fine there's a little bit of uh um uh like long grass in the background even the lighting itself is is how did you describe the lighting in this movie like low key low key yeah it's like a little more natural it looks tom hiddleston lighting it's not barry linden lighting it's matt damon lighting (laughs) boom nailed it boom roasted it's not Barry Lyndon style natural lighting, but it's got this natural kind of look about it that makes it feel a little more grounded than some of the some of the other movies I've seen, including Madness of King George. It's not super, yeah. It's not like impressionist. No, style. but it still looks great, and and it and it really drives home that feeling of what it might be like to be in this, you know, pastoral county manor in uh, the depths of summer, mm-hmm. especially having to wear a suit. Ugh. But also, in the movie, begins with a quote which I like, which is "The past is a foreign country." They do things differently there, which I guess it is. Yeah, the things were done differently back in the day, and I guess this guy's saying, "Yeah, when I was a kid, things were different." I think it's also like sometimes you look at your own past and you don't realize why you did something or what the what the you can't explain it. What you were thinking at the time, you just have to be like, "Well, that's how we did things back then, or that's how we did things in that specific spot in that specific time in Norfolk." Well, I want to go into the background of this movie a little bit, Jason. All right, tell me about it. I don't know much about it. Well, this was a novel. This was originally a novel. Yeah. Um, and the rights to this novel have been in the hands of many producers, mm-hmm. including Anthony Asquith. Apparently that's somebody famous I'm supposed to know. I think he was possibly a prime minister of England. And then Sir Alexander Corda, who is the actual producer of this film, uh-huh. purchased it in 1956. He originally envisioned 
Alec Guinness and Margaret Layton in the leads. This was 1956, keep in mind. By the way, uh, Asquith was a famous British director. There you go. Yeah, so 1956, he wanted Alec Guinness and Margaret Layton in the leads originally. Yes, I do this movie. Employed employed, uh, Nancy Mitford to write a script. The author, L.P. Hartley, later claimed that Corda, who, again, um, is credited as a producer on this movie, I think, had no real intention to make a film out of the book. He thinks that Corda just bought it so he could, hoping to resell it at a profit. The author, Hartley, said, I was so annoyed when I heard of this that I put a curse on him, and he died almost the next morning. Wow, so the curse shit in this movie must have been real. Man! I think that's where it comes from, right? Wow! So Joseph Losey, director Joseph Losey, was interested in filming the novel. He tried to get financing for a version in 1963 after he just finished doing The Servant, which is also on this list. Mm -hmm. We might do it. Maybe it'll be next week. Who knows? And he said Harold Pinter wrote, quote, two-thirds of a script. Uh, Losey was then unable to get financing then or again in 1968. So this thing was worked over for a long time. 1956, so 15 years before it became a feature film. Jesus, it's like it's it's like it's uh, it's like they're trying to make a film. Oh fuck, what's that? So it's like they're trying to make Bill and Ted three, <laughs> or that or that Kubrick movie that never got made. Yeah, what was that one? The Napoleon one. Yeah, yeah, that would have been so cool. Joseph Losey said the company had cold feet about the story in the movie. He said. It was too tame for the pornographic age. <laughs> As one man put it, who would be interested in a bit of Edwardian nostalgia? That's idiotic. It's certainly not a romantic or sentimental piece. It has a surface and a coating of romantic melodrama, but it has a bitter core. Uh, Losey said he was attached to the novel because it was about the terrible sense of shortness of any human life, the sense of totality of life. Wow. Pinter's screenplay for this movie was his final collaboration with Joseph Losey following The Servant and a movie called Accident. Uh, It is largely faithful to the novel, so this is Mm. pretty close to the novel. Although the um, opening events where he kind of cursed those kids that jumped off the roof and stuff, that's in the novel. In the movie, it's just kind of alluded to. Which is probably better. Yeah, <laughs> the curse stuff I think could have just gone completely honestly. Yeah, it, it was a weird, a uh, weird little thing. But I think that must figure into because if the author himself cursed someone, then that because I think it's partially based on the author's own experiences. So I wonder if if the author was into black magic as a as a boy. Yeah. That <laughs> then, I mean, he cursed that dude, and so he, died, he was clearly so. still into it, into it as an adult, and it worked. He probably he probably turned himself in for murder. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, he faces even more problems with the movie. So Joseph Losey secures himself uh, co-production financing from MGM. Hmm. And he budgets the movie for $2.4 million. But then he finds out he has to make it for $1.2 million. So Ooh. half the budget just slashed like that. So he did this by cutting the shooting schedule by a month. Wow. And working for a, and he worked for a percentage of the profits instead of a fee. Now, if now, this was Lord of the Rings, that would have been a great decision. Yeah. Well, he had to. There's yeah. no other way. Unfortunately, I don't know how much Joseph Losey got paid for this because this movie did not profit. Mm. This movie did not do well in theaters. It won the Grand Prix International uh, Prize at Cannes. The head of MGM actually sold the movie to Columbia Pictures because he believed that it was going to be a flop and he disliked the movie. And I guess it was probably a good decision, honestly, on his part because the movie ultimately lost about $200,000 for Columbia Pictures in 1971. Damn. That that drives home probably how much of a passion project this was for the director that he would uh, that he would go to the trouble of taking points on a movie that wasn't going to make any money. And I mean, this also shows too, like flops don't have to necessarily be terrible movies. Oh no, absolutely lots of not. great movies have flopped over the years. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, Citizen Kane was a good example. I mean, Waterworld. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> no, the actually, Citizen Kane of 1990s cinema. Yeah. That's actually, uh, by the way, Waterworld never actually flopped. That's a that's like a myth. I think it flopped domestically, maybe. Maybe, but it definitely made its money. Made back. it made its money back internationally, like a lot of movies. There's no Cutthroat Island. <laughs> so the, uh, director Joseph Losey again, he noted that in 1973 the film had still not turned a profit. Wow. So I wonder if it ever did. I I don't think those DVDs were flying off the shelves. Is there a Criterion disc in this? go between. I don't know. I don't remember when I watched this if the Criterion logo came up or not. So let's deep dive a little bit, Jason. I mean, we kind of talked about a lot of stuff, but uh, okay, I can't take credit for this because I did look it up. I did look it up a little bit. Uh, There's a lot of like commentary on the movie, and yeah. I was just curious to see what people thought. Sure. Apparently, there are a lot of scenes with where Leo is looking at people, and it's like through the framework of like bars or hmm. like the stairwell there's always like kind of a cage he's almost looks like he's always like caged in even when he skins his knee when he's going down a haystack the way the shot is it looks through like a pitchfork or something mm. and so there's still like bars over him tweet tweet i'm a kid in a cage <laughs> that's right from the infamous uh film kid in a cage he's a very sheltered child so maybe that's like another kind of i mean shelter but again like we like you said 12 year old in 1900 Britain. 12 year old in 1900 and not only is he a 12 year old in 1900 he's a 12 year old in 1900 that's been raised in the the upper class kind of society he's obviously he's not quite to the level of the people he's staying with but he's in that mix yeah you know so um, he has no life experience whatsoever as far as you know real rough rough men like me and you would uh, understand brendan yes fredericton is a uh, terrifying city. it's a rough town something <laughs> Someone's got to do it. You ever see West Side Story? It's like that. But more dancing. More dancing. More violence. And less brown face. Yes, way less brown face. (laughs) We have legit people here. Thank you very much. One thing I wanted to mention, I didn't really write this down, but okay. So I feel like a lot of times some of the people in the family don't really know how to converse with Leo. And I pulled an example, and I think this is a good example. This Mm. is Leo. These These are two scenes I kind of put back to back. And it's Leo and Mr. Maudsley, Michael mm-hmm. Gow. And listen to the dialogue in both scenes. Like, you'll notice where it cuts off, goes in the next one. It's virtually the same thing. Yeah. So let's just take a listen here. Hello. Enjoying yourself? Yes, sir. Good. Pretty warm. What does it say? 83. Warm. Suit a little warm, isn't it? No, sir. Enjoying yourself. Yes, thank you, sir. Good. Enjoying yourself? Oh, yes, thank you, sir. Miss your mother? Yes, sir. I mean, no, sir. A little, sir. Pretty hot today. Is it a record? I shouldn't be surprised. I'll have to look it up. Hot weather suit you? Yes, sir. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it's no. virtually the same conversation. Yeah. I just I don't think he knows how to make small talk with Leo. Exactly, and I said that Michael Gow's character is demonstrating the ancient art, British art of small talk, and of which there is none. Of, of which, of which he doesn't really keep up. But he's just, yeah, he's just talking to him to talk to him. Cause yeah, he's there. You know? How's the weather? Yeah, yeah, yeah like he throws he, in a little bit of it. Like, I also, yeah. I gotta, I gotta say, I love how he sp- he speaks in the way that my eighty-eight-year-old grandmother writes me letters. In the sense that it's like... Wait, she waits for responses at the end of oh each yeah, question? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, where it's like, Hot today! You know, you know, miss your mother. Like, like just these phrases where my grandmother will, like, write, uh, Saw Sharon at the market. Visited your parents last week. 
weather not so great here. Like that's how she writes letters, and it's it's and yeah, that's how he speaks. So yeah. I wonder if it's just an old old timey way of yeah conversing. It, and, it, it, it his character is very aloof. Yes, because he doesn't really do a lot in the movie. Mm. Michael Gow is a terrific actor. Oh, and he and he's great in the little bit he has to do in this movie. Again, yeah, there's lots of good. There's lots of great like little performances in this movie, mm-hmm. and he's definitely one of them. He does a lot with his just his facial expressions, especially mm-hmm. in that scene with the song. Yeah, you see in his face like. There, he can sense the tension between um, Ted and Marion. Yeah. He doesn't need to say anything. No. Because, you know, in a modern movie, you might get him saying, like, hmm, mm. something is afoot. Or like, there's a voiceover. I don't think this is right. <laughs> this what I'm watching right now on that stage in front of my eyes. I hope that's in a movie somewhere. <laughs> that's uh, in the director's cut. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, the producer's cut. The one that got cursed and yeah. died. <laughs> so, here's another weird thing. I don't know, like, I... I gotta say, this isn't like this. Can't just be like an accident because they're outside or whatever. But you notice there's a lot of scenes where you can hear the flies buzzing around mm. and they're kind of swatting at them and stuff. Mm. It's almost like <laughs> I have a theory. Yeah, and I think that this is the director's kind of cheeky way of saying that all these people are kind of dead inside. Yeah, and the flies <laughs> so much so that the flies are buzzing around yeah. their bodies. I like it. I like that theory. That's, that's just that's just my. Uh... There's a line here I wrote down because I actually made me roll my eyes a bit. The epilogue that kind of floats in and out, he says, you flew too near the sun and you were scorched. I hated that. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, that, yeah, an Icarus reference that ties in, because earlier in the movie, I, I believe um, uh, uh, Trimsey mentions uh, Mercury yeah. and, as the messenger of the gods. That's and, the only scene I didn't like Hugh. Yeah. Uh, where he calls, he refers to Leo as Mercury because he was like, because he's the messenger to the gods. And it's like, oh, so you're gods. Yeah, yeah okay. you aristocrats. You fucking aristocrats. You inbred aristocrats. They, you're gods. And he's like basically your fucking play thing. And yeah. He's just like, yeah. Because he's not really treated like a kid. He's treated more like a, like, like I said, he's treated kind of like a, like a pet, like a puppy. Oh. That okay. no one really likes that much. Say, were they Scientologists? They just treat him like a little adult? Yeah. <laughs> this is actually... Uh, John Travolta is re-releasing this movie. <laughs> you, you missed L. Ron Hubbard in the background. <laughs> Battlefield go-between. Yeah. <laughs> um, Johnny go-between. Did you think that um, the scene where Leo and Marion are in town and he sees her and he kind of waves her over, that it was during that horse auction, did you think there'd be a moment there where they'd be like, oh, I'm hundreds sold. the young boy. Yeah, I thought that was going to happen. <laughs> I, love, I love when she has to go do something and she's like... Uh, Go amuse yourself in the church. Can you amuse yourself in the church? In the and, con- of course, confusion? in my head, I'm being very dirty, thinking, oh, yeah, you can probably find a confessional to take care of some business, you but, know what I'm saying? Doesn't she Doesn't she call it a, um, a cathedral, too? A cathedral, yes. Yeah. Can you amuse yourself in the cathedral? I just thought that was a weird thing to ask anybody. And I'm just like, Ugh. Probably not. If it were me at that age, it's like, oh, go play in that church. Fuck you. I'll just, I would rather stand here and stare at the ground. Yeah, I would just want to sweat in the sun rather than go spend time inside a church. Yeah. At various times in this movie, I don't know about you, Brendan, but I had the thought that that, that they were going to kill uh, the boy Leo. Really? There was a couple times where I was like, where where the where the note was getting passed, and I thought like there was one point where uh, where Ted gets a note and he looks at it in such a way, and he has the gun in the in the room, and he kind of looks at Leo, and I'm thinking, oh fuck, are they going to murder this kid to to keep their secret? But it did not go down that, that route. Would have been quite the twist. That would have been a bit of a twist, yeah. <laughs> I think if the now I think alternate alternate. Alternatively? Alternatively, thank you. I forgot how to speak. If the go-between in question had been an adult, I think that may have been a plot point. In that that they were like, maybe we need to kill this person because if he tells anyone, 
were fucked. Yeah. And in, in 1900, if you just happened to kill somebody where nobody saw it, then you were in the free. You were in the clear. Well, yeah, there's no fingerprints. There's yeah. no fucking DNA. Forensic <laughs> science doesn't really exist in 1900. How did he die? He tripped and fell on his gun. He fell on the gun. <laughs> he knocked himself out with his gun, and then he died of an aneurysm. <laughs> from this hole in his head. <laughs> from the gun that he fell on. <laughs> so I think a lot of people, a lot of the characters see Ted, Ted Burgess as immature. Yeah. And there's actually like a nice little moment where, where again, Leo is so in the dark. Mm. He says, uh, he asks about Ted to the, their driver. Mm. And the driver's like, oh, he's quite a lad. And he's like, lad? I think he's an adult man. <laughs> and I think they're just saying he's... A child. He's like, he's a immature. Lad. He's a lad in the sense that he's he's out about, he's playing the town, he's visiting ladies. Oh, is that like, what they mean? I thought they I, I think like that's immature. part of it. I mean, oh, maybe okay. he's immature, but he's also, he's a man about town. He's a he's, he's a ladies' man, because they say at one point. You know. there, there's lots of cheeky little things. Like, during the whole cricket game, which I really like the, this part of the cricket. One aspect of the cricket game is that they show how bored everyone looks yeah. watching Oh, it. yeah, and they're falling asleep. Yeah, yeah and I, I love it because I, it's like... I noted that it was a very nappable sport. Because, yeah, because I was like, thank you. For being honest about this. Yeah. There's no... The only people that are into it are so fake into it. Like that boy that we both oh, fucking yeah. hate. And he's like, oh, it's ever so good. <laughs> and I don't even think it's like a good performance either. Like, I think he's pushing it a little bit too I, hard. I like it where it is because it, he does, it does make the character hateful. It may not be a great, yeah. like, like a technically good performance, but I think it's an appropriate performance he's, for the character. He's kind of cartoonish yeah. though. But, but I, I think I, some of the I think some of the parts of this movie pushed he's like me. a he's like an even dumber Bertie Wooster if you're familiar with PG Wodehouse. Uh, oh, uh, I didn't know any of that. What oh, you just well, said. Well, first off, you should check out PG Wodehouse. He's very funny. Okay, uh, but it's this era kind of stuff, and it's about a, a kind of a dumb aristocrat and his uh, super smart, super resourceful valet named uh, uh, Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. No, Jeeves. Oh. You can ask Jeeves, and Jeeves will give you an answer, but that's not what it's about. It's about Jeeves that and web, Worcester. That website still exists, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, ask.com. Oh, it's not Jeeves anymore? He, Jeeves is, I think Jeeves is still there on the page, but it's ask.com. Oh, uh, I thought something happened to him. No, no, he's still going strong. Um, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of cheeky things. Like, uh, during the cricket game, again, uh, Ted says the line, I'm not much of a cricketer, I just hit. And I was, I was like, I, I took that as sort of like a... I'm not much of a relationship person. I just kind of hit it and quit it. I don't know if that's reading too much I, I, into I it. I think but... in the in the 2019 American version of this movie, which would star Zach Galifianakis, he would say that line, and then he would do like a pony slapping motion, like he was riding a horse. I I just hit. I I don't know where you think Zach Galifianakis would be in this movie, but I like. Oh, he'd it. be Ted. He'd be Ted. Absolutely. Uh, sure. Yeah. So uh, this movie's going to be a straight-up comedy, then? Well, no, but actually, well, did you see that movie with John C. Riley and I think Natasha Leggero's in it? It's a bunch of funny people, but it's like a super serious, like, drama. It's, it's called, based on a book from the, like, 1500s. No, Funny People has Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen. It's, it's, you know, John C. Riley plays a priest, and there's, like, uh, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a weird thing to watch, but it was it was interesting. I don't know. Where was I going with that? I don't know. Oh, I say that. Yeah, they could have a bunch of comedians in a remake of a serious movie. Oh, sure. I'm just saying. I think it'd be. I think it's. It's hard to take Zach him seriously a lot of times. It's hard to take him seriously sometimes. Well, what if he shaved his beard? I mean, he's good. He's a good actor. I'm just saying. For me personally, I, it's a hard thing to look past, especially if you watch The Hangover right before, which I do before every Zach. But hey, Jim Carrey movie. did The Majestic, and we all cried. Yeah, that was a, that was a movie. <laughs> 
the majestic is fine. <laughs> yeah, I always like that movie. It's a it's a nostalgic uh, uh, weeper. So, and, and Mr. Maudsley even says to him after this, like during their break from the cricket, they have a fucking lunch break too. Well, it's cricket, yes, yeah. because cricket can go on for days. Brendan, I did not know that. But he says to him, he says, "What are we going to do about you?" To Ted, and Ted actually says, "Oh, I shan't cause you that much trouble." And it's like <laughs> you are though, you cheeky little monkey. Interesting. We played the song earlier that uh, that Ted sings, yeah. and then right after that, Leo sings the most like purely Christian, like "Oh, angels yeah. on my shoulders" type song. And I think it's it's. I thought about it at first, and I was like, "Why?" But then I kind of get it. Like it's it's him. Yeah. He's a pure like yeah. fucking innocent little kid. But then when he finishes the song, silence. Yeah. Now I don't know if that's because it's a holy song and you're not supposed to applaud in church, but they'd give him nothing when he finishes. Nope. They just stare at him. <laughs> You notice there's some like kind of eerie foreshadowing. There's a scene where he goes in to see Mr. B- uh, Ted, mm. and Ted's cleaning his gun, and it's like the exact same position he's yeah. in when he just kind of holding it up straight up. When you yeah. see that he's get- killed himself, and that's yeah. why I thought, oh, some he's some shit's gonna go down with this gun, but it, 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 did. it did. Yeah, Chekhov's gun, right? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. I do like, okay, there's a scene where I almost was upset just the way they framed it, and then it kind of won me over a little bit when Leo goes to talk to Hugh, and he's asking about. He's telling him like he read this book about a lady who, uh, who's in love with someone else, and the mm. two guys have a duel. And then he says it's so upsetting that the lady did that. Like, mm. and and Hugh actually said it's not the lady's fault. Nothing is the lady's. Nothing fault. is the lady's fault. Yeah. Which is like I was like, wow, 1971. That's yeah. pretty progressive. Well, that's and I think, but that's I'm, progressive. I don't. I think that's regressive to say that nothing is the lady's. Well, fault. Well, no, but I don't even think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is it's not solely on the lady's yeah. fault. Like I think he's saying it's a mixture of every all kinds of different factors. Well, yeah, it should be. I mean, that yeah, obviously, yeah, exactly. Every story has uh, as many sides as there are people involved in it, right? The um, when Marion gets Leo a bicycle, the bicycle is also green. Yeah. Again, he's well, because well, Marcus had said earlier that he had seen that bicycle, that he had thought it was for uh, for Leo. Oh yeah, well, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. So he was right. So good job, Marcus. Yeah, fuck you, Marcus. Oh, also, random fact: apparently, the guy that played Marcus in this movie grew up to then play the Gestapo officer in the '70s British sitcom or late '70s British sitcom Allo Allo. I mean, same character. Yeah, pretty much. Oh yes, I wish to join the Gestapo. It would be ever so fun. Um, I think we kind of talked about the the epilogue. I really don't care for it that much. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. I don't I, mind the bit at the end. Yeah, the bit at the end was fine. Fine, but, but why couldn't they have had like a little like even a bit at the beginning just to set up like him going to see her? Yeah, and then being like a flashback, like like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, have it. Yeah, did I live a good life? <laughs> um, yeah, have him go to see her, and then you know, um, go back to the past. Maybe go back once or twice. And if we had a scene, if we had the movie starting like that, where we're already with older Leo, mm. um, it would have been more interesting because then you're kind of like, oh, how did they get to that point? Mm. And then if you go back to them, it's fine because we started with them. So we kind of know. We have a we have a place. We, we, we yeah. you know what I'm saying? And there's no, there's no like stylistic separation in this movie between no. the, the scenes set it's in the It's literally future. just cut into the movie. Yeah, and so the, I didn't even notice it until the end of the movie. And then I realized, oh, that's why the, I saw the weird cars that were in the movie that I thought, surely in 1900 there couldn't be a car that looked like that. Or a car at all? Yeah. Well, no, you, there was there was cars, but they were very old and very... Well, because I feel like there's at least one car that they see 
in 1900. It's like a like a jalopy. Sorry, heritage moment comes into my head. It just happens. But I need these baskets back. We just combined two different ones. Okay, that is that's really all I have. Do you want any more deep dive stuff you want to talk about before we get into kind of like? I just want to go through my notes here and see if there's anything I wanted to mention. Just read each note one at a time. I don't know much about Edward Fox, but I feel like he's an important British actor. He's a he's great. in this movie, he's still alive too he was in a he was in a movie in i think 2014 or something with peter o'toole it was like a a, where peter o'toole was like marcus aurelius or something in the roman movie (laughs) edward fox was in it too yeah it was one of peter o'toole's last movies um so yeah oh i also wanted to mention the relationship that marcus and um and leo have as far as like they're constantly roughhousing with each other that felt so real to me like mm. that was literally my bro- my brother and i growing up in that we often wrestled and would get into it and well that's why i did friends and stuff that's what we did like just fucking with each other well and that's why i didn't mind marcus as much as uh the other child yeah yeah, no, they they were very much their age. Uh, they were playing it, and I got the feeling that those two kids were probably actually friends. Possibly, they had good chemistry. Oh, you know what? We should mention this before we move on because I don't even think I talked about this. Dominant Guard, who played Leo in this yeah. movie, um, didn't really do a whole lot else, no. and that is because he went on to become a child psychologist. That's right. Yeah, yeah. what an interesting career change. Right. But, I mean, that's the thing. Not all child stars go into acting, right? But you think you almost think like, man, if only the real dominant guard as a child psychologist had been there for Leo. Yeah. He would have <laughs> exactly. maybe wouldn't have been a broken old man. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's still alive. Yep. And he is yeah, he's a child psychologist. Um I just think that's yeah, it's a really unique kind of path his career took. Did you notice uh Yes. Uh, another thing in the movie where when they first when they first are in the the grove with the belladonna and they're looking at the berries and at some point there's this real like almost ba-ba-ba shot of the berries like oh. just holding on the berries and being like those are coming back into play at some point yeah that was and a, then they, they do but it's not to poison anybody it's no, a bit of a red herring it's weird how they come back into play because they don't really matter no he just puts them in his little potion and and then does his thing and then stuff curse. happens yeah yeah, I think the score in general is a little overbearing at mm. times. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very killing fields. Like, yeah. Not as inten- not, not as quite, like <laughs> very intense. Yeah, um, <laughs> that was my impression of the killing field score. Is that good? Very good. Okay, uh, thank you. Was she fucking in the bushes at some point? Because he goes to find her, and she like weirdly stumbles out of the bush. I don't think she was fucking in the bushes. I think she had just been over to the farm, and I think she was just stumbling through. I think she had just gotten a little. Oh, she was taking like her secret route home. Yeah, I think she had just gotten a little bit of a rogering. You know, Ah, I see. That's why she was walking so funny. Do you notice too, like when? (laughs) Do you notice too, like when she comes out of the bushes in that scene too? um, Because Leo's told to go find her because they need her for croquet. Mm. I think that's Hugh being. you know, come here and fuck me. Susp- well, no, no. I think oh. they were going to play croquet, but oh, okay. I think that was Hugh being suspicious of where she was. Ah. But when she comes out and sees Leo, she's almost combative at first a little yeah. bit. She's like, "What are you doing here?" And then when he says, "Like Hugh got me to find you," she's like, "Why?" He's like, "To play croquet." And she's like, "Oh, <laughs> of course." <laughs> yeah. She's very like uh, guarded. Yeah. yeah. Well, this movie goes to the top. Oscars! Oh, does it? It does for one nomination. Ooh, would you care to guess? If you don't, if you don't best, know, best uh, costume design. No. Best cinematography. No. Uh, best adaptation. No. What? Like like adaptation or screenplay? best best screenplay no. of an a- adapted no, no. work? No, no. Uh, was it best actress for Julie Christie? Not best actress. Best supporting actress. Best supporting actress. Who do you think? Oh, for the mother. 
Margaret Layton yeah. is nominated for playing Mrs. Maudsley. And again, having only... about 10 to 15 minutes of screen time. I mean, arguably very good. Oh, yeah, no, I'm great. Gonna, and perfect, gonna... like, it's a supporting role in yeah. the best sense. I will not uh, dispute her nomination. Yeah, no, it's um, good. I, I think Julie Christie's good in this movie, too. I don't know that she's... I wouldn't say it's her best, yeah. even of the ones we've seen. I would say Darling is her best one yeah, thus far. As far I think as she's just pure performance. She's wonderful in that movie. Yeah. She's good in this movie. I like Zhivago be- uh, a little bit better, I would say, than Darling, but at the same time... You like her performance in Zhivago? No, no, I'm saying that as a movie, I oh, like yeah, yeah, better, yeah. But, but her performance in Darling is standout. Yes, yeah. yes. So the other nominees that year were Anne-Margaret for a movie called Carnal Knowledge. Ooh. And Anne-Margaret back in the day. Mm, so. Getting some Carnal Knowledge, I tell you what. Ellen Burstyn for The Last Picture Show. Okay. Barbara Harris for who, for a very long movie. Who is Harry Kellerman and why is he saying these terrible things about me? <laughs> wow. And the winner... Cloris Leachman for The Last Picture Show. Nice. I just saw that recently. That was a very good movie. I know. She is, is, Jeff, is a young Jeff Bridges in that movie? Jeff Bridges and Timothy... Spall. Timothy Bottoms. Ah! Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Fuck the Oscars. That's right. Because it goes to the BAFTAs. Yeah, British Academy, Academy of Film and Television Awards. S. S. <laughs> uh, it is nominated for... Best film, Ooh. best direction, mm-hmm. best actress for Julie Christie, yep. best cinematography, mm-hmm. best supporting actor for Michael Gow, yeah. uh. best art direction, best costume design, most promising newcomer for Dominic Gard, and best soundtrack. Wait, so they didn't nominate the mother? Hold on. The film took home okay. best screenplay, yep. best supporting actress for Margaret Layton, okay. and best supporting actor for Edward Fox. Nice. Yeah. Good for him. So that is what happens. Um, Jason, we're going to wrap this up. Yep. This was the go-between. It was, it was an interesting film. It was number 57. Yep. I'm going to say right now, this is kind of near the bottom of my list. Yep. And that's not, a, that's not a swipe. No, because these, um, these movies are all, with the exception of The English Patient, good movies. And uh, <laughs> there's a reason that they're on the list. Poor so. English Patient. <laughs> we have to have one that we shit on, right? Yeah. Well, I kind of, I kind of half shit on Killing Fields too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's number fifty-seven. It's our third Julie Christie flag. Mm-hmm. So sadly, two more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think there's. I thought you said there was five on there. There might her. be five. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, there might be six. Okay. I think there might be six. Well, we'll see. We'll get there. Um, uh, she is not the absolute focus of this movie, though. Like she was in Darling, or even Doctor Zhivago. Yeah. Like she was. Good deal of that movie was her first like hour of that she, movie is her. Her character is central to the plot, yes, if not central to the film itself, right? I mean that is that is uh, Dominic Gardy or Dominic Gard, Dominic Gard. Yeah, you added the e. <laughs> oh Gardy, oh dummy, dumb Gardy. But this movie is a tough one. I'm not saying it's a bad movie at all. However, at times it's like it's a, it's it's slow, and you and like I don't have a hard time with I don't necessarily dislike slow movies i mean we've talked about some uh, you could argue madness of king george is kind of slow and i yeah. think that's an excellent movie absolutely um english patient is slow didn't think that was so excellent not at so all it can go either way yeah no the, um, one of my favorite movies of all time is not a british movie but it's once upon a time in the west and that is a slow as shit movie yeah that's a movie that takes two hours and 45 minutes to get where it's going uh it does move at kind of at a snail's pace yeah. sometimes the last 10 minutes or so are very intense mm-hmm Again, we talked about the romance. I had our time believing, like, who actually liked who. Um, well, do we ever even really see them together in any capacity? Except for that one except scene that, that one ends scene up in his end? death. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I, did, I, again, really don't like the running epilogue. 
I uh, could have done exa- completely without it besides the last little bit and maybe a bit at the beginning. Although I appreciate the... the well, what was that? Hold on a second. I got it. I appreciate that Star Trek Deadly Years makeup that uh, Julie Christie has put in, much like uh, William Shatner was in the episode of Star Trek called The Deadly uh, I think the Deadly her, Years. her makeup was a little better than that. You think so? Oh, but look look at that. Look at that gray hair. This is very good mm. for an audio po- format, yeah. Jason. <laughs> look up the pictures. It's great. It's, good. it's a, an interesting episode. Uh, yeah, so... This movie is slow. This movie is kind of boring, but it's it's an interesting thing to watch. It's a very well-made movie. Yeah, it's a well-made and, movie. And I don't hate the characters as much as I did in The English Patient. I yeah. think that's a big difference. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of these characters are not good people, but I think in The English Patient, everyone's so fucking pompous. And in this movie, it's like, especially when you're forced to follow the lead, played by Ray Fiennes, who's a fucking jackass. Yeah. And in this movie, you get Dominic Gard, who is very far from that. Yeah, he's 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 a kid, and he's he's the 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 sweet moral center of the film. Right, and even Ted, like Ted's Ted seems to be a pretty decent feller, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how I feel. I think I think it was uh, it's 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 good enough. Yeah, yeah, it's worth a watch if you're interested in British film. Uh, there's a reason it's on this list. Just it's get ready watching. that it's not going to be you know super exciting, but it's a very well made movie. You're not going to want to get shit faced and watch this one. No. Jason, this is the this is the most intense part of this podcast. Now is the time that we roll the dice of destiny. So this is the point of the podcast where we roll the dice, and what happens is we roll the dice, we get a number because yep. we have a ten, a ten d ten, and a one d ten, and we roll a number, and the number we get on this dice is the number on the BFI top one hundred. For the next movie we are covering. That's right. And it's going to be my turn. Oh, oh no. Them. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. Don't look at it. I didn't. Blow the dice, Brendan. <sighs> oh, Jesus. That was... Mm. You breathed on the dice. This won't bode well. We're going to get a real long, real boring movie, Brendan. And it's going to be all your fault. Alright, folks. Here we go. The next movie we are going to watch on the BFI Top 100 list is movie number... 95. Oh, shit. Down in the bottom. Down in the down in the basement. What do we got? <laughs> no peeking. So we are doing 1990's Life is Sweet, directed by Mike Lee. Okay. Yeah, you know that one, right? Uh, it sounds like it might be a, a romance of some sort. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's like happiness. So there we go. So Life is Sweet, number 95 on the BFI Top 100. That is what we are covering next week. I think this is our first like movie we've done that's in like the 90s. Well, we did uh, no, no Winnings and a Funeral. No, no, I mean number 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like, well, we did Killing Fields, which was 90-10. <laughs> you don't know how numbers work, do you? Numbers are confusing. So that is what we're doing next week. Number 95, Life is Sweet, directed by Mike Lee. Don't know much about this movie. So we'll... Uh, See what happens. Next week, we're going to find out if life indeed is truly sweet. Or if we regret everything. I we, There's a good chance. that I, th- I think that's going to happen regardless of how this podcast ends. I do like Mike Lee. I have seen movies by Mike Lee that I enjoyed. So mm-hmm. hopefully this will be the same thing. All right. Uh, okay. Well, with that being said, Jason, let's plug our podcast. Our podcast is called For Screen and Country. Perfect. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D on Twitter. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for screen and country. With that all being said, 
Jason D. McLeod. Brendan Q. Wall. That's correct. God Save the Queen. God Save the Screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Will you deliver my mail? Life is like the past. It's foreign. That's the line, right? Yeah, sure. I was out with this girl the other night, and she said that she hated Star Wars. Can you believe that? I could top that. My latest date told me he didn't like black and white movies. What? Do you have a movie deal breaker? Is there a film you love so much that if your significant other didn't like it, it would be Splitsville? Well, we're dating hosts, Greg and Lauren, and in our podcast, Movie Date Night, we introduce each other to our favorite movies and see if our relationship can survive. And if our partners appreciate the movies as much as we do. Find us wherever podcasts are available and follow us at Movie Date Night on Facebook or Twitter to talk movies with us. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from The Recasting Couch, the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody.